Welcome to episode 78 of the Half Point for Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rick, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and our producer, Johnny Pham, who is back from his scouting trip in Minneapolis and Dallas, a surprise trip to Dallas. And so Dallas. it was a it was a it was a two for one. Johnny, tell me what you learned about the Vikings and the Cowboys while you were there. Uh, not a whole lot about the Vikings, but I did learn that a coworker of mine has a friend that plays for the Packers. Um, definitely forgot the Packers name, but he's like a <laughs> linebacker for the Packers. That's all he told me. Uh, was able to see the uh, Cowboys Stadium from um, the Grooms um, Suite, so that was pretty cool to see from the Cowboys Stadium. Did you so, get any reports on Tony Pollard running from the slot? No, I didn't. Couldn't get an angle. It was a it was a closed uh, closed dome at the time, so couldn't get uh, some binoculars in there. It's a real shame because he is. Does Rashawn Gary still play for the Packers? I'm just gonna assume that's who it is, and who 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 this person that Johnny knows on the Packers now is. No, that would be amazing. <laughs> if it's Rashawn Gary. Uh, just no. just like is I'm just thinking, Smith. He was no, he's the one that's left. That left. Oh. I think, right. No idea. All right, Johnny knows a guy who knows Rashawn Gary. Uh, yeah, heard it. Heard it here first. We've got a lot to get to today and what we hope is a shorter amount of time this week because we've got a mock draft coming your way. Recording tomorrow will be live at some point this week. Uh, but first, Dalton, let's start with some news that you compiled before this podcast. First and foremost, Zach Wilson tore his meniscus, had a bone bruise. He's going to miss two to four weeks. His week one status is uncertain. We did get the report today that the surgery went well by all accounts, so... Good news there. I'll just read through all of this, and then you can hit me with with what actually matters or stands out to you. Antonio Gibson fumbles with the ones and plays the rest of the game with the second string in preseason. Um, There was a string of Antonio Gibson reports later today, too, that were along the lines of he's playing special teams and there's a competition and yada, yada. So a a lot happening in Washington with Antonio Gibson right now, but kind of to be expected with all the vibes we've gotten ever since the draft pretty much with them. Drake London has a knee injury. It's not a long-term thing, but he may miss the rest of the preseason. Should be healthy week one, it seems like, at least for now. Damian Pierce rushed for 48 yards on five carries. Uh, PFF's number one graded either player or offensive player in the first week of preseason. So sounds like a future All-Pro if I ever heard one. Uh, Kenneth Walker dealing with a, quote, hernia thing. According to Pete Carroll, Dalton, what's what stands out to you among that list? Uh, I mean, Zach Wilson's a little scary. You know, we didn't get to see him in a full season last year, and he's missing the entire preseason. We don't really get a good look of what that offense is supposed to be like. And with the McKee Becton injury as well, I'm just a little concerned that this this Jets offense is like the Miami Dolph- Dolphins of like the last two years, where we're always like almost like there's a big if here, and we just don't really know what the case is. Um, Damian Pierce. I also remember when Zach Zinner rushed for like a hundred yards on five carries. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, let his ADP skyrocket. Antonio Gibson is notable, but I think I, so I, 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 I hope it doesn't. I'm a little upset this is all happening because Damian Pierce was one of my favorite values when we first started talking about this type of stuff like two months ago. But I, I think that's going to be changing. Yeah. There. Oh, definitely. Um, with Antonio Gibson, I think we're getting to the point where like he's almost a value. Like, it's so yeah. absurd. How, like, 
I understand that no one wants him, but I think when I looked, he was like all the way down to RB31 on underdog. Yep. And at that point, like... And that's about where both of us have him ranked. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, well, he's he is a value because he's still a good player. It's just mm-hmm. a really poor situation. So I'm starting to change my mind as far as like, I'm willing to draft him at cost at this point. I think the ADP drop from uh, of him is just so strange because if you weren't already factoring in the fact that it could be a committee based on what they did in the off season. I, I just think you were kind of living in fantasy land anyway, to begin with I, I, where, where he is dropping to now is, and that's why I'm not freaking out about like any of the special team stuff. It's like, yeah, Ron Rivera has said at literally every chance he gets, it's going to be a committee. It's going to be Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. Like we, we have known this. We, we have at least known that's how they're presenting it. So I, I don't really understand why, the drop because he should have been down here to begin with, quite frankly. And the only thing I'll say about the news, um, this Ken Walker sports hernia might be bad. Like it's very early. We got the reports earlier, but well, Rashad Penny, Rashad, yeah, Rashad Bateman didn't play half a season. Right. Well, hernia. and, and Rashad Penny, his backfield mate is also hurt right now too. Um, and is always hurt. It seems like, so yeah. just uh, monitor both of them, but I, I'm with you. The, the eyebrows kind of raised when when I saw that pop up about an hour before we started this pod. Yeah. Do you think Travis Homer might be a bit of like a sneaky last round pick? Um, he He's the passing down back. This team's going to be very bad. A lot of two minute drills, a lot of hurry up, a lot of opportunity for him to be like one of those disgusting, like top 20 plays where you just need somebody to give you five points on five catches or something. So sneaky value there, that entire backfield, I could see them bringing someone in with the injury concerns. I'm not sure who's left out there, but I'm sure there are some guys willing to play. Uh, yeah, I, I I was thinking Kareem Hunt jumped to mind, but it's like no, they Ooh. like they just drafted Kenneth Walker in the second round. They're not going to do anything that yeah. extreme. Corey Clement just got cut. Like that's a guy I could see them signing. Maybe Ronald Jones when he gets cut, if he gets yeah. cut by the Chiefs. Yeah, Rojo might be getting cut. So there's another one. Yeah. Okay, Dalton. Like I said at the beginning. I didn't do this segment to crap on you for the news at the beginning of this. But when I saw your news and you made the point, it is affecting ADP. I thought it was important to just put in the context what it means when we see this news in the preseason. Like this this time, it, and when I say news, I mean the hype. Damian Pierce rushes for 48 yards. We, we, we hear the George Pickens hype. <laughs> I, I, I can literally hear his ADP screaming up draft boards right now from from my room let's take a look back at some of the headlines after week one of last year's preseason i've got a couple paragraphs to read to you here in the dolphins first preseason action the young passer displayed massive improvements in his confidence and poise Tua's accuracy was on the mark in his three drives particularly down the field he looped a beautiful touch pass to tight end mike gasecki 20-plus air yards that went for 50 yards to set up a Finns field goal. Tagovailoa put several balls on the money in tight coverage, especially on third downs, en route to completing eight straight passes at one point. His calmness in the pocket was encouraging. The second-year QB's one bad play was a disastrous decision. That part is probably accurate. With Miami (laughs) driving into the red zone, Tua threw way late over the middle into double coverage and was picked off in the end zone. I think I remember this exact play, actually. It was a poor way for his day to end and a lesson to learn in the first preseason game. 
until the late throw, Tua looked more mobile and confident in the new offense. The second one here. Donovan Peoples-Jones has been the star of Brown's camp this summer. This is summer 2021. And proved those buzzing in wherever this town is. I can't even pronounce it. Correct. With his contribution Saturday night. His best catch of the night, a toe-tapping third-down reception, along the sideline, highlighted the potential that has people buzzing about him. Number three. As the Saints attempt to get through the opening part of the season without star receiver Michael Thomas, LOL, bad bad news for you there, um, the focus <laughs> was on the wide receiver corps Saturday. Marquez Callaway stood out immediately. The six-foot-two receiver got open with ease on the game's first drive, displaying solid route running and sticky hands. Callaway caught three balls for 61 yards, including a 28-yard snag. After a mostly quiet rookie season outside of 175-yard game, Callaway projects to have a big role in the Saints' offense. Now, number four. This is especially timely with the Zach Wilson stuff today. The Jets deserve some credit for surrounding Zach Wilson with legitimate playmakers because their ability was on full display Saturday. Wilson was sharp, and so were his passes. To pass catchers, Corey Davis was there to make a key grab on the sideline on third down. And another third down later in the quarter, it was Keelan Cole snagging a dart from Zach Wilson over the middle. What what, what have we learned, listeners and gentlemen present today? Um, What makes me laugh about all of that (laughs) is you refuse to read anything about... uh, Bruce Arians has said that Keyshawn Vaughn has done incredibly well throughout camp and could be the pass catcher. Well, in you know this what? Offense. You know what's funny? That is all from one article. From one article. Oh, That's not even me cherry picking. I just went and found like a big week one takeaway, and those were just four of many, many things. And to be to be clear, there are a couple that were correct. There was a Javante Williams takeaway where it was like, yeah, this guy looks good. He's gonna push Melvin Gordon. That was right. But the point is. It is literally impossible to know what's real and what's not right now. So just proceed with caution. That That's my lesson here. Well, my favorite is the PR team releasing a depth chart. Twitter freaking out about the depth chart when the coaching staff is not giving any say-so about what's going to be in that depth chart. Mm-hmm. For those who, who don't pay attention, and I know fantasy Twitter really wants them to succeed, so they didn't. But Tyler Algier was listed as the sixth string running back. I saw someone was, and I saw someone was eighth string something. It's like eighth string does not actually exist once you get to real depth charts, guys. Yeah. Like, let, let, let's simmer it down a little bit. No, it's absurd. There are good takeaways from preseason. I also do love preseason gambling. It's fun because <laughs> it is really easy to have a nice edge because a lot of people don't pay enough attention. But with that being said, there are a ton of fluff pieces written out there. And don't forget. Some beat reporters are just mouthpieces for the organizations and intentionally fluff up their draft picks because they want those organizations to continue to feed them information like everybody who writes in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I may do that again for week two. Uh, That was a lot of funny stuff I found last year. (laughs) I'm assuming assuming week two from 2021 could be equally funny. Okay, but why why we are all here tonight, we have bus coming up later in the show. But first, Dalton, we have a couple of player props and – let me tell you what, I've been picking the studs. You went the opposite way. You're making us talk about the Jets, Titans, Jaguars, and Patriots. So a lot of fun, 
a lot of very low numbers to look forward to today. We are starting with Ryan Tannehill at 21 and a half passing touchdowns. Are you on the over or the under here? Uh, let me just defend myself and say I picked guys we're not talking about. Things no, happen to also I, suck. I, I, I agree. <laughs> well, not all the guys suck, but all the teams do. They do. Or may. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, 21 and a half passing yards. I am taking the under. Uh, if you listen to Robert Mays and Zach Brando on a, the athletic, like a couple of days ago, they, <laughs> Zach Brando points out, he's like, it's been three years. And I've said the Titans are a team not built for the modern NFL and they will fall apart. I think this is finally the year it happens. It's also the year that I'm projecting Derrick Henry's fall for the third straight year. So I could be wrong on two counts, mm-hmm. but last year with AJ Brown for most of the season, Ryan Tannehill threw 21 passing touchdowns and they had an all right season. I just don't think that he has an enemy anymore. There's no one there to help with that efficient edge. I mean, he, Robert Woods. He, he did throw it. 33 the year before. He did. And that's the year that Corey Davis and A.J. Brown were the most efficient studs in, in football. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think they're going to repeat it. I think that offensive line's even worse. They're starting an undrafted right tackle. Like, it is bad in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Johnny? Yeah, I'm going to go with the under as well. I Besides... Traylon Burks, I'm not really sure who else Ron Tannehill is going to throw to. And I'm going to gas Dalton and I up whenever we saw Corey Davis in training camp in Nashville. <laughs> we were like, he looks good. And he, he had a great season. But I'm, uh, that was I'm three going years to ago today, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, actually. That weekend, yeah. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going with the under here. I'm going with the under two. I think there's a non-zero chance that the Titans have a mid-season blow up. Not that it's likely, but it it's very possible that we could see Malik Wills at some point this year if things are not going well in Tennessee. And if things are not going well in Tennessee, it NFL guys don't usually get traded like in blockbuster deals mid-season, but maybe we could see some Derrick Henry movement. Or or maybe Mike Vrabel just continues to get his team to to over to over succeed. Derrick Henry to the Seahawks. Establish the run. (laughs) But, and even that blow up factor isn't including the risk of a rookie receiver who, by all accounts, things are not going great now. Um, Could they later? Sure. But I think it's going to be a little bit slow going for Burks to start the season. Robert Woods off an ACL. Can he be good? Yeah, but that's a risk. And then, like, who else? Kyle Phillips? I, well, like I think Kyle. he got hurt in the preseason game, by the way. Oh, he did he? I, two I snaps that. left the field, then played one more snap at the ones and hasn't practiced since. Okay. Well, that's just great. That's just great yeah. for the Titans. All right. Mac Jones. Um, his over-under is set at 3,750 and a half passing yards. I am again going under here. I know he topped this number last year as a rookie. And I think general consensus is usually well, if he did as a rookie, he's gonna improve upon that in his second year. No matter the situation, I think people just seem to remember that improvement is not always linear with these young guys. In fact, it usually isn't. They don't just get X percent better every year. And let's just say he stays the same this year as last year. That situation is looking a lot more uncertain to me. I know the receivers haven't really changed, um, which does not help matters. But you've got Matt Patricia, who... Yes, the, the former Lions coach, former defensive coordinator, who apparently did coach on the offensive side at some point in New England way long time ago. But he is splitting time with Joe Judge calling plays. That is not something you hear every day, not giving me a great deal of confidence because I just don't have a great deal of confidence in either of those guys. 
like the way I actually just read an article about this morning on Yahoo. So this is making national news at this point that these guys are co-calling plays and Belichick is shrugging it off. Like it almost sounds like it's open competition for, for play calling, which is like the weirdest thing. I, I just would be shocked if both of them do it all year, but we'll see. And even if they do, I don't have faith in, in how that goes. And their solution to give Mac Jones more weapons is to bring in Devontae Parker. <laughs> you, you've heard the phrase, you know, you can't, couldn't touch that guy in a phone booth. Can't cover that guy in a phone booth. You could cover Devontae Parker if he had an entire airport terminal to get open in. That dude cannot separate from anybody in the NFL. And I, I don't have confidence in the weapons, in the coaching staff, offensive coaching staff, uh, I should say. I'm, I'm taking the under. So I'm actually taking the over. Wow. Um, but let me first say uh, this is not a pro Patriots rant. Uh, first and foremost, Mac Jones did have a game last year where he didn't complete a pass. Uh, it was the Buffalo or he completed one pass. I don't remember. It was the Buffalo game. Uh, but he completed two for 19 yards. He completed two passes. Good. Good. Um, I was about to do that myself. But what if this team gets worse? Like they were a very efficient rushing team, which meant they didn't have to throw a ball a lot. And they were a really good defensive team last year, and they played some games against some pretty poor competition. And I think there's a a, a pretty non-zero chance that the Patriots are a worse team that require Mac to throw more. And as a result of that, he just goes over this number in a highly inefficient season. That's the first scenario I thought of when I saw this. And then the second one, and I really don't think this is possible, but I do think it, there's like a non-zero chance because we're bad at kind of predicting quarterback play in the NFL, especially like breakouts. What if everybody's wrong that Max, Mac Jones was like a ceiling player? Like he was at his ceiling. What if he gets better? I don't know. I don't think he will. But what if he does? And he comes out and he's like more efficient, a better passer. His deep ball improves. Then then we're looking at a situation where, you know, he goes over this but, number. But, but the problem season. is who, who's he throwing to? Who, who's getting open besides Jacoby Meyer consistently on this team? Well, I mean, he went over it last year. He had the same. He had the exact same players, like you pointed yeah. out. And so I, I just think, even with the exact same players and adding Devontae Parker, it's not too hard for him to hit the over again. Johnny, yeah, I I hate to agree with that one, but I'm I'm gonna go with the over too, just because I don't foresee another 19 yard game, especially with him already hitting hitting the over last year. With the 19-yard game. That that was kind of my kind of baseline. It's like any other game or kind of, he was kind of average most of the year. If he had one game, like 150 yards instead of the 19-yard game, I, I think that just takes us to the over. I'm looking back at their schedule last year just to see. I, I need to look at this year's too, but they played one, two, three, four, five playoff teams with with two of those being the bills i would guess their schedule is probably tougher than that this year which it it could lead to more blowouts and more passing opportunities it could also just lead to um they get blown out and they just can't move the ball as well and so the numbers go down too it, it could really it could go either way yeah i just think there are more scenarios where he hits the over than the under 
uh, unless they decide that Zappy is the guy, and that's also possible. That that's not going to happen. He had uh, a really good preseason game, Abbott. Garrett Wilson over under three and a half passing touchdowns. Uh, just a comically low number. This might be the lowest number of any prop bet we've ever bet, Dalton. So I'm curious why you wanted to put this on here. Are you feeling strongly one way or another, or what? What's the logic here? I was just surprised. Like. 10th overall pick, a lot of excitement from a lot of people that the Jets are a better offense. Probably the second best wide receiver on the team. I mean, it depends on how you feel about uh, Corey Davis and or our boy he's the, se- he, he's, the, he's the second best receiver on the team. Yeah. Walking in the door. He's the yes. second best. Um, I mean, the number just felt really low and kind of disrespectful. So I just wanted to chat about it. I don't really feel any way about it. I'm taking the over just because... I, I think it's really hard for him not to hit this number if he is the number two option in an offense that should be effective at moving the ball as long as Zach Wilson recovers well. Uh, but it just feels really aggressively low for a guy that his talent level doesn't seem to be that low. Do you know uh, how many touchdowns Elijah Moore had last year? I I do not anticipate Mike White and Josh Johnson throwing touchdown passes or throwing, sorry, not touchdown passes, throwing passes on this team this season. It was five, it was five touchdowns for Elijah Moore last year. Uh, I'd have to look at Zach Wilson's game log. I think at least three of those five came from other quarterbacks besides yes, Zach I think Wilson. you're correct. <laughs> so, because two of them came in the Indianapolis game, which was the 45 to 30 game where Mike White got hurt. And then Josh Johnson came in and they still like were miraculously putting up points and then they got smacked by Buffalo the next week. And I think that, I think that was still a non Zach Wilson game and he had a touchdown there. I'm with you though. I'm taking the over. It's just such a small number that if he's one of the top, even top three, but even, you know, for sure, top two receivers on this team, he'll be in two receiver sets. I think before too long this year, all it takes is one good game of two touchdowns to, to really set the pace for him to hit this number. Um, just on pure volume the rest of the season. I think he's going to struggle on a play-by-play basis in the NFL because we've talked about the inconsistencies like fundamentally with, with mm-hmm. him as a, as, a, as a route runner and as a guy after the catch who tries to do a little bit too much that you can't get away with in the NFL. But this is a guy who can get open. He can make plays. I think he can do enough of that to hit this number because it's very small. Yes. I'm glad we're in agreement then because I just thought it was rude, little little – it just wasn't nice. I mean, he's better than that, I feel like. Johnny? I was scrambling on my FanDuel to try and find that bet, but it's not on here yet or any rookie bets. But um, I love the over. Was going to go place a bet on it now. <laughs> but I was I was kind of scrambling through, like, kind of some other receivers or tight ends, like Kyle Pitts over-unders, four and a half. Uh, Jalen Waddles, five and a half. That kind of caught my attention. A.J. Brown is six and a half. Yeah, I know. Pain. Um, Yeah, I'm going with the over. You know, I think we can consider this whole podcast a win that we've convinced Johnny to put money on anything to do with the Jets. So that's, yeah. That's, <laughs> While their yeah. quarterback just flew out to California to have surgery on his knee. <laughs> All right, Johnny, I'm going to start this one with you because Christian Kirk, if I'm not mistaken, is your dynasty player in our league. Christian Kirk, over under 800 and a half. 
receiving yards this season. He is on my team, and he's a, a he's a hot commodity to some people that really <laughs> want him very badly. And to that point, I'm gonna go with the over. I'm rocking with Christian Kirk because Christian Kirk's rocking with me. I like Trevor Lawrence in this offense. I think he's just going to improve much more this year, especially in the Jags spending a outrageous amount of money in the offseason on the wide receivers. I just mm. think their passing game is going to be, uh, be on the up and up, and Christian Kirk should hopefully hit over 800 with how much money he's getting. Well, and most importantly, Urban Meyer is no longer there and Doug Peterson is. So that, that's a big upgrade too. I'm taking the over as well. And I think this is a thing that we do a lot in sports. It happens in basketball all the time because you see a lot of bad contracts in the NBA on a yearly basis. But it happens in the NFL too, where a guy signs a contract that he's probably not worth. And then we start talking about him as a player as it relates to his contract. Where, like, yeah, Kirk is not worth the 17 or 18 million that he got, but he is a good player. I think that needs to still be kept in perspective. He's just not a number one or probably even a 1B as a receiver, but he, he's a very good two. I think he's going to get a ton of volume in this offense because he's going to be open a lot because he's a smart player. He's a good vertical guy in the slot. I think he and Trevor Lawrence are going to be a nice pair this year. Yeah, and I'm in agreement with you guys. Um, he's getting slaughtered for that contract. It's not his fault he went out and got paid. Like, get your money. Um, but I also do think that that money is important to look at. Like, Trent Balky and co. probably want to try to prove people wrong that they knew how to evaluate talent. And I'm not saying they're going to drop every play to Christian Kirk, but there's probably going to be a little bit of that, you know, nudging from the GM office to Peterson saying, hey, our guy needs to get his in these games just like we frustratingly see with Dallas and Ezekiel Elliott, <laughs> where you're like, this guy's clearly not better than the guy behind him, but he's still going to get the work. I think Kirk could see a lot of that as well, um, to the frustration of some people. But I think over 800 yards isn't hard here. I think he can hit it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I, I Kind of like I said with Juju last week, I, I think he's closer to – He's at 800, so it's not like it's that far away from being closer to 1,800, but I think he's more likely to hit 1,000 than to go under the, the yeah. 800 number. He just the, – the fancy thing that will hold him back is, well, number one, he'll probably be a little up and down because he's been a big play guy a lot throughout his career. And then number two, he doesn't profile as like a super high touchdown guy to me that anybody can have an outlier season if they're good and are playing touchdown-wise, but you would think – like a thousand receiving yards, five touchdowns. Like I, I could see that for Kirk. Yeah, I think that would be a, a good season for Kirk too. I could see that. All right, now to what we've all been waiting for. It is time to be extremely negative, Dalton, for the next half hour of this podcast. We are talking bus for the 2022 season. Do not draft these guys. Not do not draft, period. Do not draft at their price. We'll we'll call this the Antonio Gibson memorial list because <laughs> if he is going as a top 20 running back in your league, do not draft him there. And just an, another honorable mention shout out to Gabriel Davis. Not because he's a bust at where he's going, but his ADP, I can't figure this out. His ADP is like wide receiver 31 or 32 right now, so, something like that. 
But every league I've ever done a draft in, whether it's best ball, I'm in a super flex live draft with Chris Harris, the fantasy football guy right now, every league I've done, he goes higher than that. Like top 24. Do not be that one guy that is apparently in every league that loves Gabe Davis as a top 24 player. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I started out like May of this year when I was doing my rankings, like, man, I'm really going to hammer Gabe Davis. (laughs) And then uh everybody was like no 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 you don't know Gabe Davis like we do and they have him like wide receiver 20 as I think is underdog ADP and he's probably like the most drastic discrepancy between like quote-unquote sharp leagues and non-sharp leagues and Um, and let's be real 99% of us know Gabe Davis just like the other because everybody but the diehards know him from one game where he had 200 yards in the playoffs last year Yes, I loved him before they did, just so we're clear. Uh, okay, Dalton, your first bust for this upcoming season. I think this guy's actually a reoccurring bust because it's his second year making the list. Wow, uh, rocking in, him. Yeah, I know. Rocking in at RB18, going 33rd overall, which is what really blew me away, is the plotter from Iowa State, David Montgomery. Um, I think he was on my list last year, too. Yeah. The last three seasons, uh, he surpassed a thousand yards each season. So it's not like he's been horrible. Three years ago or two years ago, he was the top a top four running back, and still people didn't want to draft him in the top ten. Um, this year, it's just kind of like leading up to him being bad. First, the Bears' offense last year was twenty seventh in the NFL. I think they could be worse this year. They could be, you know, a, a the thirtieth worst team in the NFL. They're losing their left tackle, Tevin Jenkins, who they drafted a year ago. It looks like they're trying to trade him. He's a second-round pick at Oklahoma State and graded all right for a right tackle. Um, But my bigger concern is that looking at his backfield mate, Khalil Herbert, I think there's a chance that they split work. Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator who came in, is a guy who's definitely uh, used to running two running back pairs. He did it with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in Green Bay, and I think they want to do that here. And last season, Khalil Herbert just flat out was better than David Montgomery. So with a bad offense, with him going is the 33rd pick around guys like Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown, I just don't get investing in him because there's no way he repeats that RB4 performance. So I'm completely out on him. I'm fine calling him a bust. I think he belongs like in the RB30 range, and I'm more than happy to take his backfield mate, Khalil Herbert, and profit off of him all season. Wow, RB30. So I'm with you in the sense that I, I haven't drafted David Montgomery once, but I still I think I still have him hovering around top 20, like right inside or right outside. And the issue is it's just such a tough range. Like I could I, I can definitely both of these things can be true. I do not want to draft David Montgomery on any team at his price. And I also don't really want to rank anybody else in that range ahead of him because it's just such a crappy range of outlooks for, for a lot of guys. Like that's where you get to the, you know, I can't make ahead of him, but that's where you get to the, the cam Akers, the Josh Jacobs, the Antonio Gibson, JK Dobbins, Elijah Mitchell. Like you get to all of these guys that are, I mean, it's called the RB dead zone every year for a reason. So I I've definitely picking a guy out of this zone and calling him a bust is probably it has been proven to be a smart take year after year and then you mentioned herbert you know the one thing i worry about for montgomery is that this is looking like 
it should be at least uh, more of an outside zone scheme this year. I would guess that Khalil Herbert is a much better outside zone runner than David Montgomery. That That's my hunch. Well, and you know who's going right in front of them in ADP? In front of Montgomery? Yeah. Josh Jacobs? No, no player in general, not just running back. Oh, um, I, I have no idea. that You made that a lot tougher by widening that from running back. Uh, so from picks 32 to 35, which is where Montgomery is now, so he's fallen three spots since yesterday, it goes Kyle Pitts, Patrick Mahomes, T. Higgins, David Montgomery. T. Higgins is the only guy I want at that price. I want Mahomes, but not in the in the third round. Yeah, but even then, like at least you're locking up like an elite talent. Yeah. You know, like positionally, you're doing yourself a favor when I just don't get it. And underneath him is Brees Hall, and then Travis Etienne, Michael Pittman. I I just don't understand how you you could take some of those names over or Montgomery over those names, especially with the Bears profiling to be maybe the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, I I know I did the whole thing on preseason, and I'm not going to get too carried away with the Bears, but we obviously all watched the Bears against the Chiefs, and there was only really two series that mattered in that game because I think about every Chiefs defensive starter, save maybe a rookie or two, was out of the game after a couple series. But the first two series, Fields got hit a lot. He was holding the ball a long time again, and the only positive plays I really had were two deep shots down the sideline where his receivers made great plays against pretty good defense both times. So not going to read too much into it, but it's just not an encouraging data point for an offense that we already have questions about. Yeah. Well, the one good pass field had was like Dardell Mooney had to turn around and just go up and catch a 26 yarder. That wasn't like necessarily a clean look um, Mm -hmm. in the corner, just didn't turn around. So no, not excited about the bears. Definitely don't want to draft a bear player that high in the top 30. And he is the highest bear player going by, by a wide margin right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Dalton, I'm going to grab somebody off of an exciting offense, an offense where you generally want all of the top guys in this offense. But I've got to say, when I looked at Joe Burrow's ADP and saw he was clear up at QB five on fantasy pros, I was floored i don't know what he is now because it's changing by the second so it might not be exactly that at this moment but just you or me at least top six or seven quarterback but probably top five he led the nfl last year in yards per attempt and completion percentage and was in the top eight in touchdowns and in yards all of that only led him to qb8 in fantasy last season Part of that is because he only rushes, only rushed for 118 yards and two touchdowns last year. Maybe he runs a little bit more this year because he's another year removed from that from that surgery. But here's the other thing with Burrow that, and obviously by extension his weapons too, but Burrow's the one that concerns me most with, with his price. 47% of his fantasy points came in three games last year according to Mike Clay. That is astounding. He, I believe, was only a top 12 QB finish one other time outside of those three games last year. So I like Burrow. I have him as a top. I think he's QB 11 for me. He should be one of the first 12 quarterbacks off every board. But to do what you did with Montgomery, when you look at 
just playing ADP across all positions, he's going ahead of AJ Dillon, Cortland Sutton, Kyler Murray. So another quarterback, Mur- Kyler definitely has more upside because of the rushing um, and fantasy. Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson, Chris Goblin. Like there are other position players that I would much rather take at those spots. And then if you want Joe Burrow, just take Matthew Stafford at QB 11 or 12, and you're going to get pretty close to the same guy. Part part of me wants to like think that we're just missing a bigger picture here because last season we were not huge Joe Burrow fans. I wouldn't say we were detractors by any means. Um, in the postseason, we definitely were a little bit of detractors, one, because we were Kansas City Chiefs fans, and two, just because I do not think Zach Taylor is as good as a play caller. Um, I as- think most people look back at that postseason and go, how in the world did the Bengals manage to win all of those games? And they did. They made the plays. So kudos to them. But I don't – I think you can make the argument they were not the better team in any of the three games that they won. Or at least they didn't play the better game, but they, they found a way. Yeah. Well, and – when it comes to fantasy, unless you've proven time and time again you're an elite pocket passer, it's just hard for you to outscore guys like Kyler Murray. It's funny because Fantasy Pros now has Kyler Murray one spot ahead of Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow's ADP is 58th and Kyler Murray's is 60th. So I don't know, I don't know where they're getting these numbers <laughs> from, uh, but th- those numbers just don't quite add up. Um, but that's the thing. Like Tom Brady deserves to be ahead of Joe Burrow. He's an elite mm-hmm. pocket passer. Great situation, just like Joe Burrow's in with weapons. Um, in my opinion, Jalen Hurts is a better option as well with a great rushing floor. I think and, I I think I even have Hurts ahead of Joe Burrow yeah. too, so that should tell you something. And I I mean, Joe Burrow concerns me because he's talked about how he's fine taking sacks on third down, which is a net negative in a lot of ways for you as a fantasy player. One, it hurts your rushing totals. Two, uh, it definitely increases likelihood of QB injuries. And three, like it just puts the teams in negative game scripts, and I don't like that. And my last point on the Bengals as a whole, and more importantly, Joe Burrow, is it's really hard to score that many of your points in three games. And one of those games was the game where the Ravens had like fifth string corners playing and they were just taking it to a division rival and trying to prove a point. And I don't think that's going to happen again this year. And I also don't think the game that happened against Kansas City where – Jamar Chase goes for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Like that's a lot of points for a quarterback as well. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's hard to get those. I I think this offense comes a little more down to earth on how they have to play with their short game. And that hurts Joe Burrow's overall ceiling. And it's absurd that he's going as QB five. Yeah. He, the bottom line is QB five is absurd. I, I love Burrow. I think he's really good. I seem to be below him, below him just as a player consensus wise too. But he has to prove to be more consistent to, to live up to, to this price because you can't count on the boom games, like we've already said. All right, Dalton, who's your second bust? My second bust. So this one, I, I've i been in the underdog drafts for so long that I just kind of take for granted that everybody <laughs> – Grizzled underdog veteran. Way. Oh, grizzled. So much money I'm going to lose this offseason or this season. <laughs> uh, but it's Amari Cooper. So his underdog wide receiver ADP right now is 34th. His wide receiver ADP in fantasy pros is 24th. He's going 64th overall. And I just don't really have a lot of things that I can say I like about Amari Cooper's situation. Or when you look at Amari Cooper, there's a lot of things that you can like anymore. So it is three seasons with Dallas. His P 
PFF receiving grade has gone from an 84 to a 77 to a 73. His yards per route run has gone from 2.2 to 1.8 to 1.6. And his targets per route run has gone from 22 to 20 to 18. Dallas let Amari go for cap reasons. Don't get me wrong. He's still a really good wide receiver, but he's not a great wide receiver anymore. It's really concerning when a guy whose entire prowess is his route running is seeing his targets per route run go down every season in an offense where you would expect him to really eat. He wasn't able to command a monster share of targets. He lost a lot of work to CeeDee Lamb as the season went on, and Michael Gallup was even eating into that target share. Then you add the situation in Houston, or in in Dallas, or in, wow, Cleveland. Jacoby Brissett's probably playing the entire season for the Browns. I would say, if not, he's still playing the first six games in his career. He, I, 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 I will say, the fact that Deshaun Watson, basically, his team came out and was like, "Can we just settle on what was the number? Was it ten games? Ten games, games, like five million dollars." So I, I think the fact that they even said that, I think they know that the hammer is coming. Yeah, and the NFL was said that a full game or a full season suspension would be a slam dunk. So I think they're going for that. And don't forget, this isn't like a jury. Um, Roger Goodell just gets to pick a number at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, when he was with Indianapolis Colts, which was better than his tenure with the Dolphins, I'll get there in a second. The best season he was able to produce was a 57, 966, and four touchdown season for T.Y. Hilton. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's probably more washed than Amari Cooper at this point. But it's just such a similar situation that that worries me. Then moving forward, when Jacoby Brissett went to Miami over a five game span, he didn't produce a 250 yard passing game. Kevin Stefanski is a smart play caller. This team has a really good defense, an amazing offensive line, and an even better run game. I would not be surprised if Jacoby Brissett is getting 16 passes a game, five rush attempts, and the Cleveland Browns are trying to win games on the backs of their defense, and there is no passing volume to be spoken of on this team. And then Amari Cooper is can, just... Can, can Nick Chubb get a high snap share <laughs> one time? And maybe Nick Chubb is actually using getting the ball effectively. But I just don't think that there's going to be anything to return like consecutive and consistent wide receiver two points from Amari Cooper. I like Allen Robinson, who is below him in a better offense, and it, he just has like a wide receiver two tag next to his name, so no one wants to draft him ahead of it. Uh, I just can't find something I love about Amari, but maybe you can tell me I'm wrong. Well, the one thing to love about Amari is that he's number one with a bullet on this team. I mentioned the Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, fluff from last year. We're getting that same fluff again this year because he's going to need to be the two on this offense. You have David Njoku, who's a talented tight end who they gave like $55 million to over four years. That tells you they want to throw him the ball. That is one thing that Joey Percet actually does do well is feed the tight ends. But, you know, Njoku has never really caught the ball much in his career. So you just look around and you think that Cooper should be one with the bullet. But you mentioned the fall off slightly for him as a player, and it's always dangerous to assume that, you know, the who else is their argument is, is going to work out um, because you just don't, you just don't know. There can be guys emerge. Cooper can, can fall off even more. The situation can be bad enough to where it doesn't matter. And for me, it's really as simple as no Deshaun Watson. I, I don't want Amari Cooper on my team. And if he is on my team, I want him on my team as a wide receiver 35 in the draft. 
he's going eight spots above in wide receiver rankings, not in just average rankings. Mm -hmm. Juju and Rashad Bateman, he's going a full 40 spots above Brandon Ayuk. Those are three players that I have astoundingly ahead of him. Um, I mean, I think I would rather have DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver 42 than Amari Cooper because let's just say hypothetically we get a six-game suspension. I don't think Amari Cooper startable those six games that we have Jacoby Brissett. So at least with DeAndre Hopkins, you know that he's not playing those six games. I just can't find anything good to say about this Cleveland Browns team out in their receiving room and in their quarterbacking room. They're going to probably be an all right NFL team without Deshaun Watson, but they're not going to be a good fantasy team. I think Cooper would be startable, but he would just be up and down and the ups wouldn't be worth the downs. I don't think to, to want to start him every week. It's, it wouldn't be like you get heck. It wouldn't be like you get the Amari Cooper of, of Oakland days where he absolutely kills you three weeks and then has a 35 point game like that. Well, like that, Amari Cooper first game last season. Like what yeah. did he have like 30 fantasy points? I, yeah, mean, I don't know. Just go back and look at our week one box score. You against me. You yeah. can figure it out. Hey, you had Tyreek Hill against me when they played the Bucks, so I don't <laughs> even want to hear it. All right. Okay. What do you got next? All right. My number two, speaking of guys, I just don't want to hear it on this off season. It's Elijah Mitchell. I've been saying basically for a year, or not a year, about six months. He's probably going to be a bust for me going into this year. Fantasy pros is weird when you look at ADP. If you look at just by position and then by by like full ADP, it comes out a little bit differently. But sort by position, he's the RB20, and he's not much lower than that in the full ranks. I have an RB27, and it's kind of like the Dave Montgomery thing where it's just really tough to move him any lower. But he's not a guy I have on any of my teams, and – I, like Montgomery, I could maybe see if he drops. I was like, yeah, what the heck? Elijah Mitchell, I am not doing it. I do not care how far this guy drops. He is not starting the year off on the right note. He's expected to miss the entire preseason with a hamstring injury. So you don't like that. You especially don't like that for a guy who was number one, banged up last year multiple times. He missed five games last year. Dalton, did you realize that he had five separate injuries to miss though. I think it was six games. He had five separate injuries to miss six games. So when you talk about injury pro, I'm like, that's kind of a red flag to me that he got so beat up. Uh, well, he's so hurt many. right now. He's and not yes. going to play the entire preseason. And yes, he's hurt right now. Um, and also you look back at last season, seems to me, if you want to keep the guy healthy, maybe don't give him like Derrick Henry light volume in the games that he plays prior to last year. The Niners have been a pure committee for the entire time Kyle Shanahan was there last year. I really think it was health of the others in the backfield. Plus Trey Sermon being like literally dead to Kyle Shanahan for the entire year as to why we got the Elijah Mitchell 81% opportunity share or something along those lines season last season. He pretty much played three games where Jeff Wilson was a full go last year. And one of them was that Rams game where they ran the ball like 50 times and the Rams were just completely clueless as to how to stop it. Um, he played single digit snaps with Raheem Mostert basically available <laughs> last season. Jamichael Hasty was the second back in a lot of those games last year. And he was pretty much a pure pass catcher. I just have no faith. We're going to get Elijah Mitchell again as the lead back. 
we've never had the same guy lead the Niners in carries back-to-back years with Kyle Shanahan. It seems like he's going to be the lead guy because he was when he was healthy last year. But you could just get that rug pulled out from under you at literally any time. It could be week one. We have no idea. Trey Sermon was a surprise scratch of all surprise scratches. Don't want to talk about it. In week one last year. Um, it's just it's just not a risk I want to take. And then that's not even factoring in the underlying stats were pretty meh for him last year. He was 34th in the NFL in yards created per touch. He only has 7% target share. He was 25th in route participation, 30th in breakaway run rate. They bring in Tyrion Davis-Price, who's a thumper, short yardage guy. Maybe he takes away the goal line. Trey Sermon, who some people that I trust say that he actually, like when he got a chance last year, he looked fine. So you have the reality where Trey Sermon could all of a sudden be a thing this year. It That wouldn't be crazy to me. And then you have Debo Samuel, who is probably the best running back on this team and should get some of that volume too. You, you know, if other people play Shanahan roulette and, and they come up out of that healthy, they come out of, out of that a winner, good on them. I am not letting Kyle Shanahan shoot me between the eyes before we, before the season even starts again this year or at any point during the season. I'm just not drafting anybody in this backfield, but especially Elijah Mitchell. Well, I do agree with you. Uh, just looking at people around Elijah Mitchell's ADP, he's one above A.J. Dillon. I like A.J. Dillon better. He's two above J.K. Dobbins. I like Dobbins better. Three above Singletary. I like Singletary better. Four above Harris. I like Harris better. At eight above Sanders, I actually like Miles Sanders better, despite all of the buzz around him right now. Um, a couple of big issues I have with Elijah Mitchell. I like to treat San Francisco like I treat the Patriots when it comes to running backs, which mm-hmm. is you take the cheapest one because there's a good chance they still hit. Last year, if anybody remembers, Elijah Mitchell was one of my deep sleepers. I loved him coming out of college, but he's no longer a deep sleeper. He's being taken like a starter and he's just not a starter. They're going to mix in Jeff Wilson. Trey Sermon is now magically like doing well at camp. And (laughs) I mean, it is, it is so obvious that Kyle Shanahan is really emotional with his players and that really factors in how he treats them. And there's like a total non-zero chance that Trey Sermon, the guy drafted four rounds ahead Mm -hmm. of Elijah Mitchell, who they traded up to get last year, who by all draft scouts is a good player finally gets his chance in this a, a lot of people ranked him as the best running back in the draft class last year yes so there's a good chance he gets a shot Tyrion davis price also got traded up for had higher draft capital than elijah mitchell we still have jeff wilson hanging around who is a good player who and there's still debo samuel yeah it's just <laughs> even if like elijah mitchell's the between the 20s guys he's going to lose touches to trey lance who's going to be running the ball there is going to be a really strong rush for his offense here. And just saying this team's going to run the ball, so I want their number one runner, isn't the way to look at it because I don't even think Elijah Mitchell could end the season with the most rushes on this team. We just don't know. If he did, If you could tell me, no matter what the number is, if you just told me right now Elijah Mitchell is going to lead this team in carries this year, I'd say, yeah, t- take him at this spot. I'm sure it'll work out at least okay for you. But, I mean – like I said, we've had a different guy every year. I'm just I'm not playing that game this year with the Niners. I'll let somebody else do that and hope it works out for them better than it has me. Dalton, who's your third guy? 
So I, I actually went down like the entire receiving core of the Miami Dolphins. And I think I just, I'm completely out on Miami except for Chase Edmonds. And that's because he's so cheap. Um, but I went with Mike Gusecki because we have refused to talk about tight end on this podcast for some time. <laughs> uh, right now he's going as a tight end 11 and overall 108. Uh, and it just, everything here screams like probably finishes outside the top 20 in tight ends. And I don't think that's to say a lot. The reasons we've loved Gusecki for seasons on end is because he's played like a wide out role. Last season, Gusecki lined up in line 99 of his 827 snaps. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was a wide receiver. The only two players that played tight end that lined up out wide more than him were Kyle Pitts at 80% and Anthony Ferkser at 87%. So it's really hard for you to go around and look at this team and say, oh, they're going to continue to use him out wide because Mike McDaniels has made it very clear they're not going to. Mike McDaniels went out and said that Mike Gusecki needs to play in line more. Mike Gusecki needs to block more. And then you look at the first preseason game, and I'm not going to lose my mind over it, but Gusecki played in line for five of his nine snaps in that game. And then you combine the fact that Tyreek Hill comes in this offense and maybe Mike Gusecki profiles as the third pass catcher in a Tua-Leta offense by Mike McDaniels, who when he was the offensive coordinator at San Francisco had the third highest rush rate in the NFL and the third lowest pass rate. Those are not promising factors for a return on investment from Mike Gusecki. And then you just remember how McDaniels used a much more talented pass catcher in George Kittle. One of the biggest frustrations about George Kittle, who might be the best tight end in the NFL, is that he simply cannot get the ball out and catch passes. I mean, they just used him in line so often that it never happened. So I'm completely out on Mike Gusecki, and I'm just not here for it. I'm with you. Um, what do you say? He was going tight end 11? Yeah. I I just think with all of those concerns, and, and I do think they're valid, it does seem like at every chance they've gotten – Gasecki and the coaches have talked about how he's been used as a blocker a lot more. And you said exactly right. The Dolphins pretty much have lined him up out wide or in the slot the last couple of years. He has not been a, a tight end at all. So just that role change on top of Tyreek Hill coming in. I, I just think there are other high upside guys I would rather take a shot on than Gasecki. The the only the only thing I would say is the opportunity cost isn't that great. So if you take him, it doesn't work out. You can cut bait pretty early. Not much harm done, but you know it could cost you your week one matchup if Kaseki only runs 15 routes and has one catch for 10 yards. Like any tight end could do that, but you would be kicking yourself, I think, if he had that number because he was blocking so much and you were like, oh, I, I really should have seen this coming. Sky Moore is going 20 picks after Mike Gusecki. Yeah, I'll take Sky Moore. Um, Garrett Wilson, one pick in front of him. I don't James think Cook. I want either of those guys at that price. James Cook, six picks in front of him. Give me James Cook. Chase Capel, five picks in front of him. I'll take Claypool. Ooh, we'll play a fun one here. Albert O, not Albert, whatever his last name is, is going 41 picks behind him. I'll, I'll take Alberto straight up over Gusecki this yeah. year. 
Yeah, so definitely I just feel like you're losing some opportunity cost. And it is cheating picking a mid-round tight end, I'll be honest, because every mid-round tight end busts. They're, it's not a good thing to do in fantasy. It's a bad strategy year in, year out. He's a little bit layer than that, but yeah. Okay, real quick sidetrack. We do have a question in the chat I'll pull up right here. This guy has a trade that he received. This is going to make us think, though. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I was confusing myself for you in this question. He received. This is a two-keeper redraft league. Full uh, PPR, I'm assuming that that means. He receives Jonathan Taylor and Damian Harris and a seventh-round pick. And the other guy gets Joe Mixon, Cam Akers, and then a first-round pick in said keeper draft. Which side of this trade do you like better? So I'm actually going to go with taking Jonathan Taylor, Damian Harris, and a seventh. Um Jonathan Taylor still has like overall one upside. So there goes your first. I I know that Ramondre Stevenson's getting a lot of love, but Damian Harris still gets like a lot of the high value touches mm-hmm. when it comes to goal line work. And as an RB2, I don't hate it. Um, we didn't get to talk about it, but Cam Akers is now dealing with a soft tissue injury, yeah. which is just really concerning with all the other things. I think that I would probably lean on calling Cam Akers a bust. And then, no offense to Joe Mixon, but I'm just giving him a one-to-one to Jonathan Taylor. And I think if you use that seventh appropriately, um, you can probably get a good enough player to replace the value you're losing. Well, and and what I was going to say is it, it's a fairly even trade. And so when mm-hmm. a trade is fairly a good even, trade, yeah. when a trade is fairly even, uh, I'd look at the team that's getting Jonathan Taylor and just say, you know what, if you have that guy, you can probably – Number one, build a, a team that can contend. And number two, even if you're losing some depth, I think you can figure it out around Jonathan Taylor easier than like, you know, I love Mixon, but let's just say Akers struggles this year because that's very possible with injuries and, you know, whatever. If Mixon finishes as the RB12 this year instead of the RB3 or 4, you're kicking yourself for, for this trade, even if we don't know where this first round pick is too. So that, that sort of would impact it. If you can, if you can, or who you can pick, like if you could pick two overall and take Christian McCaffrey, but yeah, I'll take that side, but I'm assuming this is a late first round pick and you're probably more in like the Stefan Diggs uh, type of range. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. It's so close that I'd probably just go with taking the best player. And that is Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Okay. My last guy. This one really, really, really pains me to to have to do because I've been the biggest Jalen Waddle fan basically on planet Earth for the last 12 months, I feel like. But not better than Will Fuller. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> he may be a bust, but Will Fuller still doesn't have a team. So personal issues. Jalen Waddle, again, massive fan. And then all he did was go out and have 104 catches over a thousand yards and six touchdowns as a rookie. Just awesome season. I hate calling a guy who I think is a really, really good player, a bust. It's probably what I would have done if we went to five and or six and AJ Brown would have been hovering at at that point on my list. And I would have hated that too, not because of the player or because of the player, not because of the situation, the situation would have been causing it. Um, I know Tua in the aggregate has decent advanced passing numbers. It's like a league average guy. And I I kind of believe that on the whole. But And I know he's never been set up to succeed really in the NFL until this year. But even so, unless you are in the Tua-non on Twitter, 
I really don't. I really don't think you can look at this team and confidently say, "Yep, Tua Tagovailoa can produce two top fourteen fantasy football receivers this year." And that's what you have to draft Jalen Wall as. I have him more as a low end wide receiver too, and he's going as a high end wide receiver too, a, a fringe one. I mean, just below the ones at wide receiver fourteen right now. So this is per PFF. We've seen an on average 4.3 instances of a single team having two top 24 PPR receivers since 2010. On all of those times, 74% of those teams also have a fantasy quarterback in the top 12. I do not think we're getting that out of two of this year. It's in the range of possibilities, but I'm, I'm not betting on that. And this is let, let's just think about this way. Let's just say there's four teams this year. Or let's put the over under at four and a half to get to get this number, to get two guys in the top 24. You have the Bengals who have both their guys priced there. You have the Bucks, where if Chris Goblin is at, is healthy early in the season, I think they're a good bet. You have the Chargers, where both of their receivers are priced there. And the constant between those teams is uh we like their quarterbacks. And then we have the Rams, who Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, yeah, like I feel pretty good about that one. So that's four. And then you have other candidates like the Saints like the Broncos, the Seahawks, even with a bad quarterback, they could potentially do it because those guys are just awesome. The Bills, if Gabe Davis has the year people hope he can have. The Vikings, because Adam Thielen is eternal. The Niners, because Brandon Ayuk could break out. The Eagles, because maybe Devonta Smith breaks out and A.J. Brown is awesome this year. The Raiders, because maybe Hunter Rimfro doesn't fall off. And the Dolphins. You have a lot of teams. So you're asking the Dolphins to be one of those handful of teams. I just, I don't see it. And then you look at Waddle specifically. Um, I'm curious how this team is going to use he and Hill because they're two very similar players. It's not usually good for the player who has the slightly lesser version and the guys are similar. Just just my opinion, but I, I, I love Waddle, but I think Hill is the alpha. I think Hill is the guy that I worry a lot less about. I know he's got a downgrade from the Chiefs, but just from a just an aggregate perspective. I'm worried less about Hill's production than Waddle this season. I actually think, I think Waddle is good enough to where if you put him as the one B on almost any of those other teams I mentioned, he might be the best or like one of the best two or three one B's in the league. He is awesome, but the situation is just really scary this year. We're asking him, we're asking a lot historically for Waddle to live up to this price. I, I hate betting against a young player that I think is really good, but I just can't do it with Waddle at this price. Dalton, what do you think? I mean, I we just a couple pods ago debated about the difference between Tyreek Hill and our, our ADPs, and I had Tyreek Hill low, and I have Waddle even lower. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you a lot. I actually didn't put Waddle on here because I wanted to avoid you and me doing a retread of our last year Jalen Waddle debate. Um, but I am very concerned. I think that the Miami Dolphins are getting a lot of love for a lot of the wrong reasons. Like they have a good coach. Yes. Uh, they got a superstar athlete. Yes. But like the NFL is ultimately comes down to two very important factors. One, your quarterback. And two, I think offensive line play really determines a lot. And I understand they got Taron Armstead, but Tua is a left-handed quarterback. Their right tackle is not good. Last year, PFF graded him out as like the 30th best left tackle in the league, or sorry, right tackle in the league. He's not going to be protected on his blind side. And 
Mike McDaniels, I've said it for like five podcasts in a row, is a guy who likes to run the ball. He mm. runs offenses that are really efficient in the pass game, but they rush more often than the rest of the NFL does. And that's not good for trying to sustain two players. The only reason the Seahawks were able to do that for so many seasons with Russ is one, because Lockett and DK are just flat out studs. And two, because they ran extremely efficient margins with one of the best deep passers in the league. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Tua definitely is not a good deep passer in the NFL. We definitely haven't seen that from him yet. He's a good short intermediate passer, probably fits the McDaniel system well. But the reason Waddle was so good last season was because he was getting like 10 targets a game. He yep. broke the rookie record for targets. Yep, I was gonna say he had 140 targets last season. I think he played 14 games, so he was like right at right at 10 a game. And and that was gonna be my my last point here is that for as awesome as Waddle is, if the offense is not coming together like people in Miami hope, I don't think he's gonna have that volume to fall back on, assuming that the full health of everybody in Miami. I mean, he averaged. yards per target last season, 9.8 yards per reception. This is a guy who never averaged fewer than 17 a catch in college. And as a junior, he was 21 a catch. So it was not because of him that he was in that situation last year. His ADOT last year was, excuse me, was 6.3 yards from the line of scrimmage. That ranked 88th in the NFL. Now, this is where an old song that we know and love makes a comeback. Who's that Pokemon? Real quick, before we get out of here, tell me who you think this player is with a very similar stat line to Jalen Waddle last year. 103 receptions, 1,038 yards, nine touchdowns, a 6.6 A dot, and seven deep ball targets. You know, before you read the stat line, I just wanted to guess Evan Ingram because I assume they had a low <laughs> eight on. I don't know. Who is it? Hunter Renfro. They turned my boy into Hunter Renfro last year. Oh, and Hunter Renfro might be a better route runner from Jalen Waddle. And we just we just don't have that to fall back on. I'm I'm incredibly nervous about Waddle at the price. I would love him on my team around later. I, I just I, I just don't want to reach around that early in the draft, no matter how talented I think the player actually is. The quarterback has to prove it to me first. I agree. Don't draft anybody in Miami, including Tyreek Hill. <laughs> well, that's a little more debatable, but it the, the point still stands. It, it's a scary situation in Miami this year. And Dalton, unless you have anything else to add, I right. got nothing. That is going to do it for episode 78 of the Half Point Per Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube. The link to all of these things are in the show notes. As always, give us a five-star review anywhere you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, etc. And we will be back next week with, I believe, my guys. Big show next week. Talk to you guys My then. guys. See you.